Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Battle Round. I'm your host, Paul Valley. With me, as always, is my co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you this morning? I'm great. I uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I did. I know that. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty good. Very small gathering. Only seven of us at my mom's house. My uh, my respiratory therapist, fiance Laura. Um, she, to do her part, didn't go anywhere. I can't see her leaving the house other than to go to work for the foreseeable future. But, you know, she sees this every single day, so I completely understand. Wasn't going to force her to do anything. If she had her druthers, I wouldn't have gone either. But if I'm allowed to and I'm going to be able to see my family, I will. Not that I'm not sensitive to everything. We wore masks when necessary. We kept our social distancing. So we had a good time, really good time. Nice morning this morning, not not too cold, about 50 degrees outside. Really nice and sunny day after the last couple dreary days. So, Zach, we got a lot to get, a lot to get into today. It's the, um, the non-tender deadline for all Major League teams is, I believe, Wednesday, December 2nd. Uh, the Orioles have six guys that they have to worry about here. You're looking at Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, Anthony, Anthony Santander, Hanser Alberto, Sean Armstrong, uh, Pedro Severino, and Pat Vileka. Of that list, uh, Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander are the obvious uh, choices to remain with the ball club. But then you have a bunch of question marks with Hanser Alberto, Sean Armstrong, Pedro Severino, and Pat Vileka. You were pretty outspoken about before the show today about how you want the Orioles to keep Pedro Severino. Yeah, I do like Pedro Severino. And, and I think the reason I say this is because I really don't think the Orioles are going to be able to find a replacement that quickly who's going to be that much better and that much of a difference. I don't think his defense is incredible. I don't think his bat is incredible. But I think he does both things pretty well. And I think he's just a solid enough player that he should be on the 2021 Orioles. I know it's a rebuilding team. You know, the, the money that they're going to be throwing around is not going to be as high as it would be in some other years. But this is a guy that definitely should be paid because through the first half of the 2020 season was really one of the best catchers in the American League. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. His defense suffers a little bit. 15 passed balls in the, in the last two years. He had five last year in like 42 games. So not the greatest defender the Orioles, they got stronger up the middle by re-signing Jose Iglesias. You have Hayes and Mullins. They'll be uh, patrolling center field on any given day. And then probably Yomer Sanchez at second base. We talked about this at length ever since Sanchez signed. So it's hard for me to imagine that the Orioles will allow themselves to be weak behind the plate. And you're weak behind the plate if Chan Sisko is your everyday catcher. Now look, we don't want to steal the thunder. From our uh, from our Orioles banter segment because we're going to get into all of this in our Orioles banter segment around eleven twenty today, but they have some big decisions that they have to make by Wednesday. Uh, like I said, Mancini and Santander they're obvious candidates. Hans Roberto, Pedro Severino, Sean Armstrong are the biggest question marks. I feel like Pat Vileka is the odd man out. The Orioles have a lot of internal candidates that can be that uh, that utility player. Now, look, Vileka plays a ton of positions. I get that. But he doesn't play any of them particularly strongly. And the Orioles have a lot of cheaper internal options that can get the job done. I think the Orioles do like 
Pat Vileka as an organization. I really do think they want to keep him around if they can. But when you have a guy who is kind of replaceable like that going to arbitration, in a lot of cases, I don't think the Orioles will will give out that money. But you know, maybe they go to court over it. Maybe Vileka will want a little more than the Orioles will be willing to give, and maybe they'll settle on something like you know two million or a little bit lower than that, uh, which would be a nice deal for the Orioles, in my opinion. But I do think he's a guy that could be replaced by really any number of utility guys, even as he did have a good season in 2020 for the Orioles. And I, I think he's a valuable piece. But, you know, with, with, the, with the financial times that it is, it's a little bit harder to give out contracts to guys like that who are just replaceable in that sense. Well, and speaking of giving out contracts, and not that the Orioles have given out a contract to this to this gentleman, but they claimed Chris Shaw off of waivers from the Giants. Uh, Thomas Eshelman was DFA'd to make room on the 40-man roster. Uh, Renato Nunez, he went unclaimed and was released from the organization uh, after being designated for assignment last week. They couldn't find a trade partner, which I kind of expected because if teams wanted Renato Nunez, why would they give up anything to get him when they know if, they, if nobody claims him, they can get him for, for basically nothing? Um... Right up on Shaw from MLB Trade Rumors uh, says Shaw, 26, long seemed like a change of scenery candidate for the Giants. The former number 31 overall draft pick has a productive 280, 328, 538 slash line and more than 1,000 AAA plate appearances, but he's also struck out in 30% of his plate appearances there. Made his big big league debut in 2018, but still only has 82 plate appearances. As the new look Giants front office never seemed as bullish on Shaw as a prior regime that drafted him. Shaw was initially omitted from San Francisco. 60-man player pull this season, and although he was later added, never got called up to the big leagues. With the Orioles, his left-handed bat will get some looks at first base in the outfield corners and at designated hitter. Uh, Zach, what do you say to the fans who say, well, how is this guy any better than Renato Nunez? Well, I think he's going to come a lot cheaper than Renato Nunez. This is a guy who hasn't played at all in, in the major leagues at more than 82 games, and he just hasn't really been much of a factor in the major leagues at all. He's coming off a lot of minor league seasons that have been productive, but you know when you haven't proven anything, you're not going to be getting any sort of contract. He's not going to arbitration yet. So this is just a cheaper option, and I'm not sure he's a replacement for Renato Nunez as much as he is just a guy that can bring in to spring training and see what he can do. Maybe you have like a Jig Fox spring training and make make the team out of spring training and, you know, maybe hit a few home runs. But this is a guy who has a lot of raw power and not much else. That's the way I see it. I don't think he's going to be an extremely productive major league hitter, but maybe just some competition for the guys in spring training. Yeah, I, I, I exactly. He doesn't seem like anything more than organizational depth to me. Um, and this is a guy who, like you said, he has minor league options, so he can he can go down to the minors and play for them at AAA Norfolk. And if he has a good enough season, look, if you play, if you can play, you're going to play. It, it's as simple as that. If you can swing the bat and you can play defense well enough that you want a liability, you will find your way into an everyday major league lineup. That's just how baseball goes. And just because the Orioles want to give a look to Yusniel Diaz and DJ Stewart and they want to get these guys up here, that doesn't mean that they're going to that they're going to have successful seasons. So, you want to have that depth. Somebody's going to perform, and if they do, they're going to be in that major league lineup. Now, the casualty here is Thomas Eshelman, solid 389 ERA in 2020, tied with Travis Lakins for the team lead with three, team lead team lead in wins with three, excuse me, only struck out 16 batters in 34 and two-thirds innings pitched, soft tosser with a propensity for giving up the long ball. Look, this guy is a, is a former second-round pick. In college, he outdueled Walker Bueller in a head-to-head matchup. I like Eshelman. Um... He, it, it, 
And just because the Orioles have DFA'd him doesn't mean that he won't stay with the organization. Now, he has the option to become a free agent if he so chooses, if and when he clears waivers. Uh, so the Orioles can, can re-sign him uh, to a minor league deal, and he can provide more long relief and starting pitching depth for the ball club. Do you expect Thomas Eshelman to remain with the ball club, or do you think he's going to go elsewhere? I do think he will. I'm, I'm not really sure a guy like that is going to be claimed just because of the profile. It's, it's pretty limited. Obviously, a guy who has a ton of control, he can dot up any part of the strike zone whenever he wants. He's got every part of control down. But the pure stuff just really isn't that good. I mean, he throws 86 miles per hour. That's a little bit low as far as today's standards go. And it, it works sometimes. You know, the ERA was pretty low. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. But it's not really a profile that many teams are going to jump all over. So I do think he clears waivers. Now, I'm not sure he would elect free agency. I'm not sure why he would, really, because I, I think this is a guy who could potentially be back in the big leagues if he were to stay with the Orioles. I'm sure they'll need a pitcher at some point throughout next year and you know have to bring him up and, and put him back on the 40. Yeah, if you're going to be a soft tosser, and look, the, the guy I'm going to compare him to doesn't hasn't made his even made his major league debut yet but you want to have the pinpoint control of like an Alexander Wells you don't want to have this propensity for the long ball what Thomas Sessionman did for the Orioles this year can't be understated he he provided them a, a lot of depth came in and pitched really well in some in some Harry situations for them. I believe he was the one who came in when Wade LeBlanc, LeBlanc got hurt and gave them five solid innings so there's a, a role for Eshelman with this ball club. I don't know how many other teams have that role for him to fill. So it remains to be seen. The Orioles could always use starting pitching in the minor leagues, uh, assuming there is a minor league season this year. So I, for one, hope that Eshelman remains in the in the organization, not because I expect him to be a game changer, but because you need that kind of depth and he's familiar with the organization, and I like what he did for them last year. Now, another player that the Orioles have been linked to, and they were linked to him last year, is Yasiel Puig. Uh, they showed interest in him before he signed with Atlanta in 2020, but that contract was negated when he tested positive for COVID. Multiple teams, including the Orioles, have shown interest in the 30-year-old outfielder, or at least it's reported. But it's hard to see how Puig is a fit in Baltimore, especially if the Orioles plan to keep Mount Castle in left field and also end up calling also end up calling up Yosniel Diaz. I don't see it happening, but if he does sign here and he performs, like I said, if if, if you can play, you will play. Um your thoughts on Yasiel Puig? Because I honestly, with the, with the the depth that the Orioles have and the players that they that are on the cusp of making their big league debuts, I just don't see where he fits. Yeah, I, I think Puig's a great player, and I think he's a guy who makes your team better no matter what team he's on because he is a great bat. He's arguably a five tool player. I mean, he has everything. He's one of the best arms in the game. He's a great outfielder. But the problem is, is the Orioles are looking at everything right now from a developmental standpoint. And when you bring in a veteran, a 30-year-old guy who hasn't played in a year, I feel like it hinders the, the developmental process a little bit more for the Orioles. They want to give guys like Houston L. Diaz a shot. Heston Kerstad's going to be knocking on the door in a year or two now. So giving a guy like this a whole year in the outfield and taking away chances from some of the younger guys is probably not the smartest thing, in my opinion, although he would make the team better. This, this is a guy who would come in and probably be arguably the best player on the team for a little while, and but I just don't see it a fit from a developmental standpoint and the fact that the Orioles have so much outfield depth already. Well, yeah, it's... I don't know that he'd be the best player on the team. Uh, I, I think that with Trey Mancini coming back, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, even Jose Iglesias, you have a number of guys that can fit that that build now, which Fair enough. 
which is nice. It's nice to have that kind of talent starting to, to poke their heads through the clouds here in Baltimore. But this is a guy who can hit 25 to 30 home runs, hit a career high 28 in 2017, hit 24 in 2019 while hitting about 268. He hit right, right around 270 uh, between the Indians and the Reds uh, in 2019. 30 years old is, is the issue there. He's 30 years old. He hasn't played in a year. Uh, so you, you're wondering, wh- how much can this guy give you? And can he give you more than what you're going to get out of a Yusniel Diaz or out of a DJ Stewart? Now look, if you can have Ryan Mountcastle splitting all of his time between DH and first base and put Yasiel Puig out in, uh, out in left field, and assuming Anthony Santander, this is all assuming Anthony Santander stays healthy, he's finished each of the last two years on the IL for the Orioles with the, the the strained labrum, then with the uh, the strained oblique. So this could also be a contingency plan in case Santander can't stay healthy. And that's not that's not a far fetched uh, idea that he can't play a full season. Yeah, I think there's definitely questions about him and then Austin Hayes, of course. And I don't know how many at-bats they're going to be giving Trey Mancini right out of the gates because, you know, just to regain his strength and regain everything. Um, So there's definitely some questions about health, but I do think the Orioles are so strong there in other departments with guys like DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins that they can bring in to take over for these guys if they can't play. So I, I still don't see the fit. The thing with Puig is you might be able to flip him at the deadline and maybe get a few nice prospects for him. But also the question would be, how much of a contract would he be looking for? Is he going to be looking for $3 million, $5 million, somewhere in that area? I can't imagine he would be get pay- getting paid too much considering he hasn't played in a whole year. So I-, I think the Orioles would have to look at that. If they can train him at the deadline and sign him to a $2 million deal, I think I'd be for it. But if it's any more than that, and you really they don't see it as having trade value, then I think they should just hold back off it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, just because they're linked to him doesn't mean they're going to sign him. There are plenty of other teams who have shown interest in him who might be better options for him. Maybe he, he sees the Orioles and says, well, look, look at all the players that they have that could be coming up. I could be traded at the deadline. Maybe I want to go sign with a team that may, maybe the Braves have renewed interest in him this year. And maybe he has an everyday spot there. Nick Markakis is, doesn't have a contract for next year. They need somebody to play right field every day. Uh, so it's it's a, a, an option where we could go there, play for a contender, and play every single day. So, again, just because he's linked to the Orioles does not mean that he is going to end up with the ball club. He could sign with any number of teams. We have a really good show today, Zach. Really good show. Of course, as always, we have Stan the Fan Charles at 1020. Uh, Nathan Ruiz, who covers the Orioles for the Baltimore Sun, is joining us at 1050. We're going to do our Orioles banter around 1120. We're going to be doing Orioles banter making the case today. The case for and a little bit against each uh, player not named Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander who have... um, who are going to be either tendered or non-tender contracts on Wednesday the 2nd. And then, really excited about this, at 11.35, we have Orioles legend and current Yankees broadcaster Ken Singleton at 11.35. Now, Zach, we were just talking about outfielders. Um, And there's an outfielder whose name has been in the news about a month ago. It was in the news for all the right reasons. Now his name is in the news for all the wrong reasons. And what you got for me with your sounding off? 
All right, so we have this week Randy Rosarena being arrested in Mexico over some issues with his ex-wife. So obviously right off the bat, not a good look to be arrested. Now, he is being accused of beating up his former father-in-law and attempting to take his child from uh, his ex-wife. So there were a lot of issues going on there. And MLB is stating that they will do an investigation and that uh, Rosarena will be released with no charges. But I just think that you're Randy Rosarena coming off an incredible postseason. You're in the spotlight as as is any MLB player at, at you know at this point in time, and you decide that you know you're going to do something that's going to put your name in the in the bad part of the news after being such a great player um, in in the postseason for for a few weeks there and and really making a name for yourself, being one of the best players in that postseason. Painting this picture of yourself and and the of what the Rays can do as an organization. It's just not the best thing, and we're going to see what comes out of this MLB investigation. Hopefully, it's not as bad as it sounds, but I just don't think it looks good for him. I don't think it looks good for the Rays. And you know, now the Rays are put in a bad spot because now they have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? How are we going to discipline him for this? Obviously, they're not going to let him go, but this is a serious matter, and I think it needs to be taken pretty seriously by the MLB, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it because it's going to be really interesting. Well, it certainly is a situation that the Rays were hoping they would never have to find themselves in. And Ro- Randy Rosarena was making a case for himself to be one of the biggest and brightest young stars in the game. And he still right. he still could be. Now, look, you and I have never been in a situation where we're dealing with an ex-wife that, whom we have a child with, uh, who has a father who's there, maybe sticking his nose in, the, in, in your business. Doesn't mean you should beat up the father. Doesn't mean you should try to kidnap the daughter. Now, look, this is all alleged. These charges have all right. been dropped. Okay, so we don't we don't know what happened there. My whole issue here is you see this a lot with professional athletes, and I don't know if they feel like they're untouchable or what, but you are in the spotlight 24-7. Right. You can't do stuff like this. It's like when you see a professional athlete who beats up their girlfriend, and you you think to yourself, all you have to do is not put your hands on her. All you have to do is not put, like... like right, why? Why? That's why, the question. And you're a professional athlete, which means you're bigger and stronger than most of the people in the world. This Nothing good is going to come from this. Why can't you control your temper and do what's best for you and what's best for... He could have just cost himself millions of dollars from the raise. And you know whose who's take I want to get on this? I want to get Stan the Fan's take on this because Stan's an old school guy and I know that he would have an issue with some domestic violence. Stan, how are you today? Don't speak for me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, look, there's no question. It's a very bad look. As often happens with these cases, though, um, they sprinkle. Uh, you know, I hate to be cynical. The 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 uh, the one of the objects when you have a kid with somebody is how is that kid going to be taken care of, and is the best interest of the kid being that the father is in jail and losing his ability to make income. Uh, so, you know, magically, uh, he probably sprinkled uh, the, the aspect or his lawyer did to her uh, and the family that, uh, hey, this guy's going to be making some good money. This is the best thing to do is to, to not go forward pressing these charges, you know. So it's a terrible look. There's no question about it after such an incredible uh, brief um brief appearance in the spotlight where he is, as, as Zach said, one of the brightest young stars in the game. Um, and it's, it's a terrible look, you know. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you have to, 
again, what I, what I was questioning is what 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 these players are thinking when when they do stuff like this. Now, look. This is, not, this is not to say that a Rosarena can't improve his image from here on out. He can do all the right things and try to put this behind him, but there's always going to be a portion of the fan base who's going to remember him solely for this. Yeah, well, you can, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I was always amazed at how the camera kept finding him during the playoffs and how sort of grim-faced he was through much of his, uh, you know, Tour de Force performance uh, for what was it about twenty five games in the playoffs and mm-hmm. World Series? Um, uh, he he looked a little uh, little wacky, you know. Um, I just I, I observed that that his highs and lows were pretty intense. He's an intense young man, no question about it. And let's hope that uh, the Rays can get him a little bit of help and uh, he can put this incident because as Zach said it is a serious incident there's no question about it yeah Stan what do you do if you're the Rays at this point do you look at him and say okay we're going to discipline him for this or do you wait until the MLB conducts their investigation get all the details and then decide what to do I think I think unless they have great insight into exactly what happened um I I think you got to do that let let MLB do the heavy lifting here and examine him, and it it wouldn't be surprising if he gets two weeks to thirty games. You know that they're going to be without him next year to start the season. Which is because so- again, it's one thing if the woman, you know, an MLB and their investigations and the power that the commissioner has, and this again is where the union has to come in and be a an actual good partner uh, with MLB. Uh, and do the right things and not, you know, contest it. So there there needs to be some type of middle ground that MLB comes up with with the punishment that, you know, that the, the union goes along with because it is serious, you know. Yeah, but I think they'll find that middle ground, and my guess is he will miss, like, the first two weeks of the season. You know? Which, over the course of a season, isn't that big of a deal, but it's going to be hard for the Rays to... Coming off that defeat in the World Series, and then you start the year without arguably your biggest star. Uh, that's yep. a problem that they shouldn't have to be dealing with. But such is life. They'll move yep. on. So will I we. I mean, uh, just as uh, just as big, totally different is this. Uh, they flew their uh, number one prospect back, uh, and it's interesting because we we would agree that Rosarina has probably moved from pros- suspect or prospect to potential star. Uh, is Wander Franco, who is their number one prospect, who had to leave the Dominican uh, to come back because he's got sort of a sore elbow, I think it is, or a bicep uh, problem. Oh, so wow. he's come back to be, you know, have the, the raised doctors examine him. Now he's probably, again, having lost last season to be able to play, uh, he's probably not going to make the team opening day, but, uh, you know, they... They're uh, they're in such strong shape the Rays because they've got the ability to trade uh, Adamas, you know, and make way for him or move Adamas to second base and play him at shortstop. He's really an incredible prospect. Yeah, so it seems Wander Franco was playing at the Dominican Winter League and then suffered a yeah. bicep and shoulder injury. So yeah, two things that yeah. certainly cannot be good. That is never a good sign when you see an arm injury for sure. No, no. 
Um, well, like I said, the Rays will the Rays will move on from this. Hopefully, both of these young men can get to their organization and play and play well for them. Um, except for when they play the Orioles, of course. Um, Moving on to the Orioles. The Orioles claim Chris Shaw stand off of waivers, has good power from the left side, not great discipline, and a 30% strikeout rate at the minor league yep. level. Um, some fans are questioning whether or not this move was necessary when they simply could have held on to Nunez. What I don't think they realize is Nunez had no minor league options remaining. Shaw is pre-arbitration eligible and thus cheaper. But And there's no guarantee that he's going to be on the opening day roster. I see this as more of a depth move for the club for spring training. How do you feel about the signing of Chris Shaw, and do you think that this moves the needle at all for the Orioles? Well, I don't I don't know all that much about Shaw, but I pulled his numbers up in anticipation. We talk about him today. And uh, 2018, he got 54 bats in the major leagues. He batted 185, uh, 10 for 54. Uh, one home run, seven RBIs, seven walks, 23 strikeouts. 23 strikeouts over 54 at-bats, pretty high, pretty high rate of strikeout at buck 85 batting average, 274, 278, uh, 552 uh, slash line. Uh, and then he got up in 19, he got 18 at-bats with one hit, um, an 056 average. So his his you know cup of coffee in the major leagues are very unimpressive. And I got to be honest, his numbers in the minor leagues um, in 2019 at Double A AA and Triple A batted 442 times uh, with a 294 average, 360 on base percentage, 559 slugging. 919 OPS. Uh, that that's an attractive slash line, but it is double A, triple A at the age of 25. 94, uh, excuse me, 111 strikeouts versus 39 walks. Um, you know, again, is this a guy that in 2022 projects to make this Oriole team? No, but maybe 2021. Uh, he he takes the spot that Nunez would have had, you know, at least to start the season. Because I think we'd agree that with Mancini and Mountcastle and Chris Davis, that the sort of the DH first base, you know, position is is kind of well fortified. Uh, you know, I'm not sure this guy's going to project to make the roster on opening day. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he projects to make the roster either. Like I said, I think that he ends up being more depth than anything else, and I could see him getting a lot of playing time down at the minor league level, maybe patrolling the outfield with Yusniel Diaz to start the season. Yeah, he also is a guy, if if Davis ends up being released, you know, once the schedule comes out and the Orioles might might save $7 million again, or, you know, or $6 million, uh, and the Orioles decide to release Davis once once a shortened season is announced. Uh, he he probably for a half a season would would be worth a look, you know, at uh, at at first base DH, you know. Yeah. Now speaking of which, um, just to talk about Renato Nunez um, briefly. Yeah. He, he went unclaimed, uh, therefore he ended yeah. up being released from the organization. Can you see any scenario in which the Orioles bring him back and have him play at Norfolk? Um, 
You know, I mean, yeah, the, the short answer is yes, but um, generally these moves, once they're made, you sort of, it, it's not the healthiest thing in the world to bring guys back right. that you, you've sort of moved on from uh, because they they kind of understand where where you stand, where they stand in your pecking order. So I, you got a guy at AAA that feels he belongs in the majors. Is that a healthy situation? I I don't think so. Yeah, no. I, but, I, I, but then again, you know, what, what did we say that his arbitration number was going to be? Like 2.9, 3.3, something like that? I think it was right around uh, 2.1, actually. 2.1. You know, if if suddenly he's unclaimed, he doesn't have many many offers. I don't know if he's a Triple A guy, but maybe he's a guy you sign in spring training, and he's happy to get a million dollars. You know, and you've yeah. saved yourself one point one million dollars. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy. He certainly could project. I don't see him as a Triple A guy. I see him more as a guy that they might sign for seven fifty to a million dollars, and he's he's he understands that there's no more demand for him at the major league level. Then he's not pissed off, you know. But to have him at Triple A, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure I am either because you don't know how disgruntled the player could be. Also, after having spent the majority of the last two years on the big at the big league level, and yep. if he's going to be as cheap as seven hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars, it's hard for me to imagine a team wouldn't pay him that to, to DH and hit thirty. Yeah, and I think some other team will step up with you know with a little bit more than that. So I don't think he's a I don't think he projects as a strong fit to be back uh, with the organization. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there. Now, another player that the Orioles are showing interest in, they showed interest in in him prior to last season, uh, was Yasiel Puig. He ended up signing with the Braves and then had that contract negated when he tested positive for COVID-19. My simple mm-hmm. question for you, Stan, is uh, re- in regards to the Orioles showing interest, why? Why are they showing interest in Yasiel Puig when they already have a roster crunch with all the outfielders and first basemen in the organization? Um, because, frankly... He'd still be, uh, he'd still be one of the best players in an Oriole uniform, um, and again, you'd be getting, you'd be buying low on somebody who, who's just, uh, you know, you, you take away what he could have been, and 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 you sort of do the metrics on what he is. He's still a pretty nice ball player. I mean, uh, you know. Um, his last season in the major leagues at Cleveland, 207 plate appearances, 182 at bats. He had a 377 on base percentage, uh, OPS of 800. Um, I, you know, I, I still like the talent, the skill set of Yasiel Puig. No question about it. Yeah, so Stan, uh, Puig signed with a new agent, Rachel Luba, who is the agent of Trevor Bauer as well. Um, mm-hmm. And being that... You think they could come to the Orioles as a, as a pair? I think we'd all like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, my question is, what do you think the Orioles would be willing to give out to Puig, given that you know we're, we're in a harder financial time and the Orioles aren't really giving out too many big contracts? And then also, what would Puig really be looking for, um, especially signing with a, with a new agent? Well, you know, he because of some of the 
his zaniness, you know, and that he, he never proved to be a great player. Um, you know, I mean, his career on base percentage is three forty eight, which still on an Oriole roster would look pretty good uh, if he could put up those numbers. A one-year contract, if the Orioles could get him, and this is why ultimately I don't think it'll happen, I think somebody will probably end up paying Week in the $2.53 million for one season. And I think the Orioles would be looking at, like, spending maybe a million five. You know, the idea there being you save six, $700,000 and get a significantly, a significant overall upgrade from Renato Nunez. You know, it's crazy. Um, so I see, I see him, he's worth kicking the tires on in a serious way. But I think when the money gets above the the Renato Nunez figure, um, I think some teams like Atlanta or the Nationals or somebody's going to step up and pay this guy what is a pittance um, of, of two and a half to three million dollars for one season. Well, and it's it's crazy when you think about the times that we're in right now because a player like Yasiel Puig, who came off that 2019 season, he hit right around 270, 24 home runs. You mentioned the high on base percentage of 377 in his 200 plate appearances with the Indians. That's an eight to 12 million dollar player under normal right. circumstances, but he didn't right. play at all last year, and now with this deep freeze because of all the revenue lost, he's You've got the combination of the revenue loss, and you've got a incredible, uh, um, you've got a incredible number of players that are out there as free agents. Yeah. You know, it's a unprecedented number. I think. Uh, abs- absolutely, and it's it's yeah. crazy just to think about that kind of player who would be making yeah. what would be pocket change in normal circumstances. And, and and what you get there also is you get a guy in the Orioles' case, or say that the Texas Rangers or the Braves, if they get them for three, let's say the Braves paid them $3 million for one season, or you might be able to sign a guy like that instead of worrying about, you know, how you're going to replace Marcelo soon. And the following season, if you follow me, you have, maybe you give him a two-year, seven or $8 million contract. He's thrilled that he got back to, to that level, that he's got some, some change coming in, you know, serious change, and he and a team like that can blow him away at this point in time. But what you have, if you sign him for a one-year team like the Orioles, a one-year deal, you've got a highly motivated guy who's still 28 years old, maybe 29 this year, uh, who's highly motivated to put up big numbers. Uh, I think he's, I think he's, he's a better upside risk than Renato Nunez. Oh, 100%. 100%. He's got the better defense, yeah. the better arm, the better bat. Yeah. You know, he, he's, yeah. a, he's a better player than Renato Nunez, but he's also, therefore, going to be more expensive than Renato yep. Nunez. Um, yep. Now, look, Stan, the Orioles, they have to make decisions on the but, remaining... You know, let me just throw in real quick. Sure. I've been wrong before. I, I was right on uh, Charlie Morton going to the Braves. I didn't think the number would be as high as $15 million. Uh, I did not see him as a, uh, uh, did not see Drew Smiley as a brave and certainly wouldn't have projected him as a one year, $11 million player. So maybe Puig's number could be a $5 million one year deal if somebody wants to, to pay. But I think, I think quality pitching, uh, 
was the story about why both of those players, Morton and Smiley, got such big numbers from the Braves. Well, and it just goes to show you that starting pitching will always be at a premium. Yeah. It's the most important yeah, aspect a premium, of a team. No question Absolutely. About it. Now, we're going to get back to the Orioles here, but since you brought up Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley, yeah. these are the first real free agent dominoes to fall. Do you expect free agents to start to sign more rapidly in the coming weeks now that those two guys have kind of gotten the ball rolling, or do you think it's still going to be a slow playing off season? Well, I, you know, again, uh, factor in, you know, we don't know the length of the season, but that really isn't going to factor in on what players get. Uh, Charlie Morton got a $15 million deal. Smiley got an $11 million deal. And those numbers are based on 162 games, and it'll be prorated if it's 110 games or 120 games or 90 games. You know, so the club can project what their budget will be. Um, I, I expect uh, the you know the, the quasi virtual winter baseball meetings. I expect um, a good number of prospects, uh, free agents, to start signing. You know. Yeah, it's something's got to start to happen soon. Now, look, the, the Atlanta Braves kind of jumped on starting pitching right at the early stages of the off season, and they were they were smart to do so. There's but, no question about it. And the the starting pitching for the Braves was a strength of them all all postseason until it wasn't when they ran into that buzzsaw that was the Los Angeles Dodgers. That would have happened to any team because that team is just so so darn good. Um, but does this move? help the Braves get over the hump as World Series contenders. The Dodgers are still playing in the National League, so they're obviously going to be the favorite, but are the Braves right below, the, right behind them in the pecking order for World Series? Well, they got some very necessary depth, you know, in their rotation with the with the addition of two arms like this. Um, is Soroka supposed to be back this year? I believe so. He tore that. Uh, he tore his Achilles. Um, so his was an Achilles injury. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he tore his his Achilles. But right now they're going into the off season. They had Freed and Ian Anderson, and am I missing one other guy? Sort of a veteran guy. Oh uh, well, they have Wright as well, right? Which which guy? Wright, Kyle Wright, Kyle Wright. Thank you, I Kyle thinking, Wright. That's yeah. right, Kyle Wright. And then they've got Soroka coming back at some point. And I think and they saw Morton Fulton Evans, smiling. don't they? Who do they have? Fultonavich, is that his name? I believe. I think they. I think Fultonavich he's available DFA. out there. I believe he I was. He's a, he was DFA, but he resigned yeah. with the organization. Oh, he did sign with. Yeah, that, I, that. that was during the season. He he rejoined the, the the team. I'm pretty sure of that. No, I thought. Uh, well, one of us can look it up real quick if he's on their forty man. I I, uh, I currently uh, have him as a free agent on. Uh, on yeah, the, I did uh, too. Okay, I uh, uh, my mistake. Agent. My mistake. And in fact, he'd be an interesting free agent for the Orioles. I think. Yeah, a guy, a guy to kind of rebuild his career because he started yep. off his career very hot and just kind of went downhill yep. from there. So I'm right with you yep. there. Yep. Um, but, I, you know, the Braves, now they've got one big problem is they've got Marcelo Suna. Uh, you know, man, um, our old friend Mark, Nick Marcakis looked much like a sort of an aging platoon-type player mm-hmm. when he came back. Um now, given the fact if, if this year is some type of normal spring training and he could have a normal spring training, maybe he's 120, 130 game, you know, on a 162 game season. Maybe he could play that much, but he was looking more to me like an 80 or 90 game player. 
which in that case, Marcel Asuna is a huge loss if they lose him. And I think they're going to get blown out of the water by some teams that are going to pay Osuna bigger money. Like the, the Mets, the Mets, even the Cardinals, uh, the Nationals being back interested in players of that caliber. So it's going to be interesting. So I think they need, they need some help on offense to fortify that lineup. Which could make the Braves a more, um, more enticing destination for Yasiel Puig if they yeah, lose Puig, Marcelo Puig, Puig is a, is a, is actually a very good fit there. You know, he comes in there and doesn't put up Ozuna numbers, but you're paying him, like we said, like 3 to $5 million for the season. Uh, that gives you room to get another decent player, you know, a free agent of some kind. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, before we let you go, Stan, we have a couple more things we want to get into. The Orioles, they have to make yep. their decisions on the remaining arbitration-eligible players by Wednesday. Looks like Trey Mancini, and it not looks like they are. Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander are the locks. They're going to be tenured yeah. contracts. Yeah, of course. Um, I think Pat Vileka is the, the one casualty here. I don't see the Orioles paying him over a million dollars to be a utility player for them. Because uh, he doesn't Correct. play any one – even though he plays a ton of positions, doesn't play any one position uh, – over the top. Now, he, well. now he's a guy. Once they uh, non, you know, non tender him, he's a guy that is not going to be pissed off if the Orioles come back and say, "Hey, we'll pay you six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars." And he's the guy that's, uh, you know, triple A depth and maybe in the major leagues. But I think he's supplanted this year by Bannon. You know, probably. Probably, if Bannon yeah. doesn't take the take over the range at third base from Ruiz, yeah. which remains to be yeah. seen. Now, Hanser yeah. Alberto, Pedro Severino, and Sean Armstrong are the biggest question marks of the. Uh, I think two. I think two of the three of them are gone. I think Armstrong, at the dollar figure I read, at eight hundred thousand dollars, he's given the Orioles pretty solid uh, contribution over the course of a season and a half. I think Armstrong is tendered. Uh, I don't think either Severino or um, or Alberto are tender. I think the Orioles are going to really hone in, and maybe Zunino's out of their price range. But I think they're going to. I think they're going to go after and zoom in on somebody that really is an upgrade defensively. Uh, for young pitching staff. Absolutely, because if they get rid of Severino, I just can't see them going every day with Austin Wins or Chance Sisko. Chance Sisko is no. is going to be the backup catcher and a, and a part-time DH for the yep. Orioles this season. I, I don't I could him. see I could see Sisko playing 80 to 100 games this season with whoever they get. But if you if they did get let's say they did get Zunino at 2 2.5 Three million dollars, or something, two point five, or something like that. I think Zunino would catch one hundred and twenty games, and you'd suffer with his stick, but you'd you'd have a guy that really that part of the appeal is that he we really need you to come in here and quarterback this pitching staff a little bit. I, w- I agree that they that that's a player who profiles nicely for the Orioles. The question is yeah. whether or not they're going to want to pay him the money that he's going to command yeah. in yeah. the offseason. They may have somebody in mind that they they think they could get for roughly you know one point two to one point five that will do what I'm suggesting is somebody that can profile as really a defensive specialist on a team that frankly is showing the signs of wanting to play better defense. 
Yeah, and, and they've gotten stronger up the middle with Iglesias and Sanchez and Hayes and Mullins in center field. The next logical step is to get stronger behind the plate before Adley Rutschman gets here sooner yep. or later. Uh, and I just don't think that Cisco's that guy or wins, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't either. So, I, w- I'd love to move on from all three of those guys, to be honest with you. Absolutely. So, Stan, I mean, yeah. We 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 gotta we gotta run. We gotta get a break and then get Nathan. I know you got a good show ahead of you. Thank you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Hope you guys had a good holiday season. I mean, a good Thanksgiving, and wish you a happy holidays. And we'll talk next week. Same to you. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Dan. Okay, bud. Bye. As always, I was Stan the Fan. Charles joining us for our, his uh, weekly 10:20 segment here on the Bat Around, which comes to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, I just want to remind you that the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And I also want to know that if you want you to know that if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at Facebook.com/slash/PressBoxSports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Rich Dubroff from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Find that show via the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com. We have to get a break here, but when we come back from the Baltimore Sun, we have Nathan Ruiz. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Planet. 
Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Glenn Clark Radio and Drew Forrester's DrewsMorningDish.com have partnered up to collect coats and clothes this holiday season for Helping Up Missions. There's never been a more difficult time to take care of those who need it most in our community. Thankfully, Great Eights Memorabilia and Jerry's Toyota and Chevrolet have partnered with us for an awesome collection drive event. We'll be at Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 for a pregame tailgate party before the Baltimore-Cleveland showdown. Joining us will be Ring of Honor star Michael McCrary, who will be taking socially distanced pictures and signing autographs for anyone who donates coats and clothes. That's Looney's Perry Hall Monday, December 14th for our pregame party and collection drive with Michael McCrary with your thoughtful donations to the Helping Up Mission. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley, your host, with my co-host Zach Goodman, and we're broadcasting to you live from the Chesapeake Insurance, the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Apparently, that's a tongue twister for me. Uh, and on the line with us right now, we have from the Baltimore Sun, he covers the Baltimore Orioles, Nathan Ruiz. Nathan, how are you today, man? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, thanks for joining the program with us today. Uh, big date coming up for the Orioles here on. Wednesday, December 2nd, that is the arbitration deadline as far as tendering contracts. Uh, the Orioles have Hanser Alberto, Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander, Sean Armstrong, Pavaleka, and Pedro Severino who are due to be tendered or non-tendered contracts. It looks like Mancini and Santander are the obvious choices to get tendered contracts. And you have these these three or these four other guys. I think Valeka is the odd man out in this equation. Am I wrong? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think one thing that's interesting, if you look back at, at the move they made earlier this week, um, when they added Chris Shaw, they DFA'd Thomas Eshelman. And when you look back at two weeks ago, in the, or a week ago, time all blends together now. Um, when you look back at the move they made in designating Renato Nunez, they'd already made the decision, hey, we're going to non-tender this guy. We might as well just make this cut now. You know, they could have made that same decision. So, obviously, I think it shows that they are wrestling with these other decisions a little bit more. Uh, Yomar Sanchez fits in that group as well. So, obviously, between him, Alberto Valleca, you've got you got three infielders who you can make some decisions on. It might just come down to how negotiations go with those guys and their representation, whether they arrive at a number that they feel more comfortable with. I, I, I would have to think that at least one of those guys is probably going to get non-tendered. Sean Armstrong is an interesting case as well, in, in my eyes. Uh, obviously pitched very well this year when healthy, but, uh, you know, do you want to pay that extra $100,000 or a few hundred thousand dollars when you could 
you have Isaac Matson or Travis Lake, and just someone who's younger who's going to be on the league minimum a few a few innings in those middle relief roles. So I think there's definitely some tough decisions here for them. Obviously, like you said, I think Mancini and Santander are pretty locked in in terms of um, not getting non-tendered. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they uh, handle this next week. You know, it's funny you mentioned Yomer Sanchez, and that didn't uh, I never even thought about him. I can't imagine that the Orioles would have claimed him to not tender him a contract, and it seemed to me. Like they, te- like, they claimed him because they want to get stronger defensively up the middle, which kind of has put the writing on the wall, at least f- from my perspective, for Hanser Alberto. But is there a chance that they non-tender Sanchez and tender a contract to Alberto then? Yeah, you, it's always possible. Like I said, it might just come down to, to a numbers game. If they like the number they have and they, they, they come up with a contract agreement with Alberto they're happy with and they don't quite get there with Sanchez, that might be the decision. You know, There's always a possibility that um, you know, they take away playing time from Rio Ruiz. They keep both guys, and, and Sanchez becomes their starting second baseman, and you put Alberto at third, like we saw a lot in 2019. So I, I think there's a lot of iterations, a lot of possibilities here for the Orioles, and it'll be interesting to see how they kind of all sort it out. Uh, Nathan, you wrote an article that came out around 8 a.m. today for the Baltimore Sun about how the Orioles have some young roster flexibility, and you mentioned how Severino is a non-tender candidate and that they, they could lean on Austin Wins and Chan Sisko to, to be their everyday catching platoon uh, in the 2021 season. I agree that Severino could be non-tendered here, especially if he's going to make over $4 million as an everyday catcher. Uh, so my question for you is, do the Orioles trust Chance Sisko and Austin wins to, to man that position and kind of quarterback a young pitching staff, or do you think that they would even potentially go outside of the organization to sign a veteran backstop who is defensive-minded first? Yeah, I think we'd see kind of a repeat of last year's Brian Holiday signing, whether it's actually Brian Holiday or someone else. I think we would see them pick up someone else. Obviously, Austin wins was part of the player pool last year, right. never made it up to Baltimore. Uh, yeah, Pedro Severino has just been a really interesting player during his time um, with the Orioles, you look at, you know, if there had been an all-star game last year, even if an all-star team last year, he likely would have been the American League starting catcher. But then you look at just kind of the last couple weeks of the season, uh, end of the season on like a three for 45 spell. So he really struggled down the stretch, did kind of the same thing in 2019. Uh, but I think they really like him. He's a guy who, like Alberto, brings a lot of energy to this team. You know, very personable guy. So it'll be interesting. I think he's a guy to really watch in, in next year's arbitration talks if he... Um, makes it through this year just because we're going to be one year closer to Adley Rutschman making it to Baltimore. So I, I think he's an interesting candidate. I think there'll definitely be some conversations there. I think when you just look at the the, the role he plays, how he's fit in in Baltimore, I, I think he'd be more likely to stay than some of these other guys. But again, it's so much of it is a numbers game and, and how the negotiations go. Um, but, but yeah, I think he's definitely got to watch over the next week. Well, so you brought up uh, Adley Rutschman briefly there. Uh, we had Jonathan Mayo on the program a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned Adley Rutschman as his 2021 impact rookie for the big league club. Um, a lot, Everybody outside of Baltimore seems to think that the Orioles should bring this kid up in 2021. And they said that he, a lot of people think he would be one of the best catchers in the game today if he was on a major league roster. You don't think that, the, that there's a high chance that we see Rutschman uh, next season at all unless he's a September call-up now. Uh what is behind that? Because outside of Baltimore, like I said, people seem to think that he's ready right now. I just don't think they make that move. I think Adley Rutschman's call-up is the statement of we're ready to contend. That's kind of how I see it. That might not be how they see it, but I don't think you, you use a year of his service time, especially a guy who doesn't have an, a, bat, an, a bat above low A. And I understand he's, he's very developed, obviously had a great amateur career, and he's a player that everyone should rightly be very excited about. 
But I just think that, that this organization wants to make sure he's getting the requisite at-bats in double-A and triple-A before they make that move, before they need to. You know, if this team isn't going to contend in 2021, uh, I don't think they want to make that kind of move to where they're using up a year of his service time. Now, if, if you can come to come some situation where you look at, um, you know, what the White Sox did with, with some of their young prospects, what the Mariners did with Evan White, and, and sign him to a contract to where you don't maybe necessarily have to worry about that. I don't know that that's going to happen by any means. I don't know that those conversations are even being had when you look at the financial state of the game. But if I don't think they make that move until they're ready to kind of take those next steps forward and make those kind of progressions. Well, and I'm glad that you brought up these other clubs that sign these players before they even have an impact at the big league level because if the Orioles were to do that with any player, it would be a complete 180 from what this organization has done. You look at players like Brian Roberts, Nick Markakis, Adam Jones. They didn't sign long-term contracts with Baltimore until they were almost all the way through all their arbitration years. Uh, you look at Manny Machado. He never got offered a contract, and he, he left in free agency. Uh, well, he got traded away, and then as a free agent signed with the Padres. So signing a guy like Adley Rutschman before he debuts, like they did with Tim Anderson or Luis Robert or Eloy Jimenez over in Chicago, that would be a complete change of direction for this ball club. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it, it seems to be the trend the game is going. You know, guys are more likely to get that to pursue that kind of security. You look at uh, guys and think Ozzy Albies did it too in Atlanta. It, it's it's a move that we've seen more commonly. I think you know Evan Longoria way long ago did it. Yeah. So I, it, it is it is something that has happened in the game, um, and it's tough to see those top prospects doing that. Obviously, you know the Padres. You look at last year; they were ready to contend. They didn't sign Fernando Tatis Jr. to a contract. But they had him on his op- on their opening day roster. Obviously, that year didn't go like they hoped, and this year was more their big breakout year. Um, and but yeah, I just think when the Orioles are ready, that's when we'll start seeing Rutschman. And obviously, if he if he dominates in Double A or High A, wherever they decide to send him this year, they might end up making a decision like that. But it, it, they've been pretty clear. Michael Elias has that. Um, you know, the hope with any of these prospects is they want to make sure they're ready. You know, you look at what Ryan Mountcastle did in in Triple A. In 2019, he was the International League MVP, but they still weren't ready to bring him up because there were still things they wanted him to work on. You know, with his profile, they wanted to make sure he had the ability um, to take a walk, that he was showing that in his game, that he was showing that play to discipline. And after they saw that in the buoy camp, they said, hey, we're ready. And he was ready to come up right away, and he performed right away. And that's what they want with all of these guys. They want to make sure they're ready to come up, and I think they definitely want that to be the case with Adley Rutschman. Well, and certainly, you look at Adley Rutschman, and he's... Obviously the best catching prospect since at least Buster Posey. A lot of people say since Johnny Bench. So the excitement kind of lets people makes people get ahead of themselves. It's like this was the first overall pick in the draft. He's an amazing talent. We want to see him th- as early as possible. But you're absolutely correct. He only has about a month and a half of professional ball under his belt. Um, and he didn't perform exactly at the top of his game. Now this is after a long college season in 2019. So it certainly is something where he needs to go down and get a little more seasoning. And if Maybe he needs to play at a high level to kind of force the Orioles' hand. That remains to be seen. Now, a couple of other moves, Nathan, that the Orioles have made in the last week. Um, fans were really upset when they designated uh, Renato Nunez for assignment. But I want to know, what does it say about the direction of this ball club that a player like Nunez is no longer a fit on this roster? Yeah, I think it kind of just speaks to, to the kind of game Renato Nunez plays. You mentioned earlier with Yomar Sanchez and his defense. You know, Renato Nunez hit 31 home runs in 2019. I don't know the exact number, but there were a lot of guys who hit at least 30 home runs in 2019. Ball was yeah. flying out of the yard. Um, his game is, is somewhat one-dimensional. He's not a guy who walks a lot. Um, his, his, de- his defense is suspect. 
I think he's a guy who obviously is an interesting piece. He's young. I mean, he's younger than Chris Shaw, who they just claimed on that same day that they released him. Uh, but but I think it shows that they're trying to add versatility. Uh, I, I think in a circumstance where he wasn't going to get a raise through arbitration, this is obviously a guy you keep around for another year and see what see if there can be another step forward. But I just think as they're trying to make these decisions, as they're trying to find playing time for guys who um, aren't yet at that stage, you're trying to see whether an Austin Hayes, a Cedric Mullins, a DJ Stewart is, is worth keeping around um, when this team is ready to contend. I, I think you got to give it back to those guys if you've already made the decision. Yeah, we know what Renato Nunez is. He's a guy who's going to hit for a lot of power, not going to draw a lot of walks. He's a little tough to find a spot for defensively. And if that's, if you know who a guy is, it's a little easier to make a decision like that. Hey, Nathan, how you doing? It's Zach Goodman. Uh, so, you know, obviously Renato Nunez really brings that power perspective and that, that power profile for sure. What kind of profile do you think the Orioles want to build a team around? Is it speed and defense? Is it contact? Or is it power? What kind of, what kind of profile in, in the players they're, they're getting are they looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little of everything. If you look at, uh, just to make the Astros comparison, those are guys who are really patient, took their walks, they did strike out from time to time, but they also hit for a lot of power. I think that's kind of the modern game. Um, I think, he, And then you look at what they did, like I mentioned with Ryan Mountcastle. They wanted him to be able to take a walk. He's like such a good bat-to-ball player. He has, you know, it's those pitches that he wanted to, to swing at, he made contact on them. That's why, um, you know, he didn't draw a lot of walks, really. He just had strong bat-to-ball skills. So I think it's something that they want to create, um, this environment where it's okay to, to wait on your pitch, to find your pitch, and, and drive it. And if you need to take a walk, then take a walk. So I think that's kind of the culture they're kind of cultivating. Obviously, they have some players in, in Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. You look at Ryan McKenna coming up. They have some guys who have that speed, defense-based game, and obviously Austin Hayes has some pop as well. But um, so I think there's a mix and match. I think you have to be able to kind of – I don't think there's one across-the-board cookie-cutter approach they're looking for. Well, the Orioles certainly, from 20 – even 2011 – through the 2018 season, were known for their power. Uh, they, they led the Major Leagues, I think, four years in a row in home runs. They had the Major League leader individually in home runs four seasons in a row uh, during that, that stretch run. So it would be nice to see them kind of get away from an all-or-nothing approach and have that more disciplined, take-your-pitches-get-on-base approach. And the power is going to come with that because you're going to see better pitches. Um, but then they go out and they claim a guy like Chris Shaw, who's another guy who is a lot all or nothing, uh, had a night, has had a nice career in over a 1,000 at-bats at the minor league level, has good power, but he strikes out a 30% rate. Um, how does Chris Shaw, Nathan, fit in on this roster? Is he a guy who they expect to get some at-bats at the big league level, or is he more a depth piece that they added for spring training? Yeah, I think he might fit as more of a depth piece. I think he might just be kind of a, uh, a hitting Carson Fulmer, a guy they just hope they're able to get through waivers, unlike they were able to with Fulmer. Um, and just see what they have. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, he's put up great numbers in the minor leagues. A career 520 slugging percentage as a minor leaguer. Uh, it just hadn't translated yet in the majors. He really didn't get a whole lot of opportunities in San Francisco. They changed front office regimes, and I just don't think that they sounds like they just weren't as interested in him as, as the previous regime that had drafted him 31st overall was. So, I, I think he's an intriguing guy when you just look at the power potential there. Like you mentioned, the strikeouts are high, but. Uh, yeah, I think he's a guy who they hope to, to maybe get some seasoning in the minor leagues and maybe see if that, that power can translate to the major league level. And obviously he's a guy who offers a little bit more positional versatility, um, able to play first base, able to play both corner outfield spots, left-handed bat. I think there's a lot of interest there. 
Well, and then the Orioles, it's been rumored they have interest in Yasiel Puig. To me, the interest doesn't make sense because you want to get Diaz back up. You want to get Yasiel Diaz up on this roster at some point. You have Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, DJ Stewart, Trey Mancini. The list goes on when you start to factor in like like a Ryan McKenna and Chris Shaw. Is there any validity to the rumor uh, that the Orioles are interested? How great is the interest, and where does he fit if the Orioles were to go ahead and sign him? Yeah, I can't really speak to the validity of it, but I, I, I'm, I'm on board with you. Of like, I don't, I don't really see where the fit is, and obviously, he's a player who would make an improvement on this team. He would make this team better. Like, obviously, if they signed him, um, it's it's a strong addition. It makes the team better. But it is a question of where does he fit? You know, obviously, you can you can align things certain ways, even if you assume that the Ryan Mountcast on Trey Mancini and some combinations are going to be the first baseman and designated hitter. Um, it, it does leave some questions. You know, you do have using LDS who you're going to want to see up at some point. You have Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins who are probably going to be your starting center fielders in some order, or both of them could be in the starting outfield depending on how things work out. There's definitely just a lot of pieces at play here. And in the outfield is an area where it might be the Orioles' deepest position group, probably is the Orioles' deepest position group. So it's a move that maybe would take away earlier, like we were mentioning with, with Renato Nunez. You want to make sure that you get those younger guys at bats, extended playing time to get a full picture of who they are at this level. Whereas if you add a, add a, a guy like Yasiel Puig, you're taking away that opportunity from one of those guys. And, and you know, maybe the Orioles decide, hey, that's the move we want to do. I don't know that Puig's going to sign a longer contract. It might just be a guy you sign for one year, hope he reestablishes his value, and you're able to flip him at the deadline. That's a possibility, and that's when you call up a Yusniel Diaz to let him play out the second half. Uh, so I, I could see some iterations where it makes sense, but just on the surface, it is a little bit of a, of a confusing look. So Nathan, you just mentioned that outfield depth, and the Orioles have so much of it, and now they're going to have more in the coming years with Diaz and, and then Kerstad, who they just drafted. Is there a chance you could see of a prospect-for-prospect prospect trade where the Orioles would take one of these outfielders, or even a major league outfielder like Cedric Mullins, and deal them for a place where the organization needs more depth, as in pitcher or a middle infield? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. The way that Michael Elias has talked about it, he makes it sound like they really just want to get that group to spring training and see what they have. I think they want to give those guys full looks. I mean, you look at what DJ Stewart did over the course of a week and seven home runs in nine games. But outside of that stretch, I think he was like four for 55. So I think you want to get an idea. Is he that player? Is he that player? You want to see if Austin Hayes is the player he was before going on the I.L. or after coming off the I.L. Obviously, you want to see if Cedric Mullins is the player who, who really bombed out at the at, in 2019 and start of 2020 and then came back up from the buoy site and was great for them so i think there's they really want to like kind of test this group get an idea um obviously something like that is a possibility but it sounds like they really want to take these six to eight guys and, and, and get them to spring training and see what they have a guy that nobody really talks about who kind of flies under the radar is ryan mckenna and for all intents and purposes, this is the best defensive outfielder in the organization, but his bat has always been behind his defense. Nathan, does Ryan McKenna have any kind of a chance to be on this ball club in 2021 or in the foreseeable future? Or is this guy, again, more depth and a potential fourth outfielder for the ball club? How do they view him? Yeah, I think he, he does kind of project as that, that fourth outfielder type, and you look at his numbers, he really hasn't hit that well in Bowie um, since getting promoted there. Dominated in Frederick. Um, to start 2018, and then that got that promotion and has really just kind of been stuck in Bowie since. He's a guy who obviously made it on the taxi squad at one point this year, didn't actually get added to the roster, but he went on a trip to New York. So if something had had happened, he would have been able maybe to make his major league debut. I think he's a player they're excited about. I think you know it's a profile that when you look at him getting added to the 40-man roster last year, it is a profile that maybe does fit as a Rule 5 pick, a guy you can bring in off the bench to play defense, steal a base. 
Um, but yeah, I think there's interest there. Obviously, like you mentioned, he is a guy who does profile as kind of a fourth outfielder. But it'll be interesting. I think, you know, at some point this year, he'll get an opportunity. I think ideally, obviously, there's a, a normal minor league structure and he's able to, to go to AAA and get some at-bats there and maybe put up some, some numbers and, and play some off- play an offensive game that maybe intrigues them a little bit more. Now, the Rule 5 draft is supposed to come up on December 10th. Um, do you see the Orioles making a pick in the Rule 5? I feel like with this roster as it's currently constructed, it's going to be hard to keep a guy on that everyday roster for the entirety of the 2021 season. But they've also made a pick for what seems like every year for the better part of two decades. Yeah, so that would require them obviously non-tendering someone uh, to open up a 40-man spot right now. Their 40-man roster is full. So that would be the first step in that. I wouldn't be surprised to see them pick up a pitcher, you know, just to see, uh, you know, Michael Elias does want to add some starting pitching candidates, even if it's a situation where, you know, last year they get both Brandon Bailey and Michael Rucker, and then they return both of them days before the shutdown happens. So uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, them claiming a guy necessarily promises anything. They obviously made the decision last year, and at the time that came off as kind of a surprise um, for them to send those two guys back. So they might end up, you know, kind of repeating that process. If there's a player they really like out there, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go get him. Um, doesn't necessarily mean there is that player out there. Uh, obviously, it's such a crapshoot. You look at, you know, there's cases where it's Brandon Daly and Michael Rucker, guys who don't even make it out of spring training. And then there's guys like Anthony Santander who maybe take a longer time to develop and have to deal with that, that weird Rule 5, wait out a year to maybe, you know, get, get your feet under you, go back to the minors, and then you break out like he has. So uh, it, the Rule 5 draft, you know, there's a reason that those guys are left off 40-man rosters. There's a reason the Doors left some of their prospects off their 40-man roster. Uh, and, and I think they, you know, they protected six guys, so obviously they had some concerns. I know they were worried about Alexander Wells as a starter getting taken. They were worried about Ryland Bannon, given his power and on-base profile being taken. So I, I think it's uh, the Rule 5 draft. Excuse me, Rule 5 draft is such a crapshoot every year, and I think especially in a year like this. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there. Now, before we let you go, what are the Orioles' plans for the rest of this offseason? Do you see them? I mean, I know we talked about it earlier on in your segment. Are they going to make a move for a veteran catcher? Are they going to sign a couple of, minor, of veteran uh, pitchers to minor league deals? What are their plans before spring training opens in February? Yeah, I think they're definitely, you know, starting pitching help. I think it's definitely something they're going to want to pursue. If you look at their 40-man roster right now, if you look at, you know, there's probably nine guys you can consider starting pitchers. Six of them are rookie eligible. So I think they definitely want to add another veteran or two in there in, in the format of the way the long Tommy Malone signings they made last year. Definitely want to be surprised to see them add another minor league catcher, whether that's, again, whether that's actually Brian Holiday or someone who kind of fits that mold. Um, I, I think, you know, organizationally, they're always going to want some, uh, some depth up the middle. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them um, make some moves in that regard. But, yeah, I think the biggest focus is just on adding some starting pitching depth, maybe adding, you know, a reliever candidate or two. Um, just to to make sure you have enough depth there to get what they hope is a full season. Now, again, I I said the last question was the last question, but this is really the last question. Um, You have Rio Ruiz at third base. The only person really in the organization that's going to even push him a little bit is Ryland Bannon, and he has no big league experience. Do you see the Orioles potentially going out and adding a veteran third baseman that could kind of push these guys in spring training? you think they're just going to go with the status quo? Well, I think when you look at the combination of Alberto, Valleca, and Sanchez, you have some options there. Um, I obviously think that the preference would be to put Sanchez at second if he was going to play, given his gold glove um, defense there. But I-, I think they have some options there. Again, it wouldn't be surprised if there is someone out there available who's going to be maybe a guy you can add on a minor league deal to, to make things more interesting. Uh, I mean, we saw in 2019 that the way they formatted things was 
Ruiz and, and Alberto really platooned at third base with Alberto moving from third to second, depending on what the lineup was. But yeah, I think uh, I think that's always an option for them. It just it just kind of depends on how the market sorts out. Obviously, uh, it's not like the NBA, as you know, it's very slow moving. But I'm sure in time we'll see how things kind of all come together. All right, well, Nathan, thank you so much for joining the program. We certainly appreciate you giving us some time on a Saturday morning. You have a great week. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, you guys too. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk soon. That was Nathan Ruiz, uh, who covers the Orioles for the Baltimore Sun, joining us and giving us a really, really solid segment there. Had an answer for every question, no hesitation whatsoever. That is always nice to have on the program. Now, other programming notes, uh, every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ontheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Bradley Bozeman, legendary broadcaster Jim Gray, UMBC basketball coach Ryan Odom, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio and Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, Stan Charles also texted me. He wanted me to mention um, that he's going to have O skipper Dave Tremblay on Monday night. So that's another thing to look forward to with he and um, and Ross Grimsley. So tune into that on Monday night at 8 o'clock where you can catch up with Orioles former skipper Dave Tremblay. we got to get another break. When we come back, we're going to do some Orioles banter, make some cases for some arbitration-eligible players. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself 
yourself. What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. <laughs> Welcome back to the Batter Round, brought to you broadcasting live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Once again, I'm Paul Valley, as always, joined by my co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach's over there modeling one of our press box face masks. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Press Box is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gator that Zach is so wonderfully modeling right now, plus a celebrate eight purple neck gator honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. Now, these are decorative masks. They are not CDC-approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Zach, I am fired up about the prospect of Major League Baseball. It's November, almost December. We're still two and a half months away from teams reporting the spring training if we're lucky enough to have that happen with all the surging happening in the, with this pandemic right now. But I love it. I love Not the pandemic. I love Major League Baseball. I love the Orioles. I love talking about them, which is why I'm excited to talk about, to give you some Orioles banter here and talk about some arbitration-eligible players that the Orioles could or could not tender contracts to. Now, we've talked about this all show long, and the reason we've talked about it all, all show long is because the Orioles have until Wednesday, December 2nd, to either tender or non-tender these contracts. And as we've said all along, Mancini, Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander are going to get contracts. They're two cornerstones of the franchise. They're going to be tendered contracts. Um, then you have question marks. And, um, Hanser Alberto, Pedro Severino, Pat Vileka, and relief pitcher Sean Armstrong. So we're going to make a case here for each one, starting with Pat Vileka. Pat Vileka, he saw... Time at every position, but catcher, center field, and pitcher. He was fourth on the team with eight home runs. He appeared in 52 out of 60 games and batted 277 in 150 plate appearances. That's those are the those are the pros for retaining Pat Vileka. The cons, uh, well, and he's also he's honestly honestly he's a solid utility player, 
as the Orioles have had, at least offensively speaking. Defense kind of leaves a lot to be desired there. His biggest issues are he doesn't get on base a ton. He had a 315 on base percentage. When you're batting 277, you want that on base percentage up above 330, even 340. Uh, and while, like, like I said, while he plays a lot of positions, he doesn't exactly excel at any one particular position. Your thoughts on Pat Vileka? I like Pat Vileka, and I think he played a pretty critical role for the Orioles in their 25-win season. And, and the fact that he did appear in 52 games kind of tells me the Orioles really like him, or at least Brandon Hyde really likes him and, and wants to keep him around if they can. It's just, as we talked about before, you know, the money that you have to give to a guy who's probably replaceable with another utility guy of this of this stature. And he's he can play shortstop, he can play first base, he can play left, he can play right. Like you said, he's not really great at any of them, and that's where I think the drawback is with him. I think the Orioles would rather have a guy who is a shortstop first and then a corner outfielder and first baseman second, and that's what Pat Felica isn't. And I think that's maybe what they could use as justification to non-tender Pat Felica, but I'm not really sure on this one. I'm, I'm not really sure if they will non-tender him because, like I said, I think they really do like him, and he was a critical piece in 2020. Exactly, exactly. But like you said, I think they want somebody who profiles as a shortstop first and foremost. They have a lot of those guys in this organization. Um, you look at Richie Martin. People forget that Richie Martin will be back healthy to start 2021. Ramon Urias, Urias, however, I, why can't I ever pronounce this guy's name? Is it Urias or Urias? I, I'm going to go with Urias. Urias. Yeah. So the third option that I didn't even mention, Urias. Uh, he came up and he showed well uh, when uh, after making his big league debut for the for the ball club in 2020. That's a guy that, that, that can play uh, all like three of the four infield positions, a guy who swung a pretty solid bat for the Orioles at the end of the campaign. Again, Richie Martin. Pat Vileka, if he wasn't arbitration eligible, if his contract was around the league minimum, that's a guy who would remain with the ball club. But I don't think they want to pay him $1 to $2 million for what he offers them uh, when they have younger, cheaper options in the organization. Now, Another guy, the relief pitcher Sean Armstrong, 180 ERA in 14 games this year. He was 2-0. and oh. uh, His career walks per nine of 3.6, but it was just half that in 2020 at 1.8. He had a .80 whip, and he allowed just two walks and nine hits in 15 innings pitched. The downfall here is, okay, he's had exactly 14 games in two separate seasons, and those were his two best seasons. 123 ERA in 2018 in 14 games with Seattle, 180 ERA in 14 games in 2020 with the Orioles. In the other seasons in which he appeared in 20 games or more, 438 ERA in 21 games uh, in 2017 with Cleveland, 574 ERA in 55 games in 2019 between Seattle and Baltimore. So his success has come in very small sample sizes. When he gets, it seems like when he's exposed more and more, has more appearances, he tends to pitch worse. Which Sean Armstrong are we talking about here? Are we talking about the 2017 or the 2018 and the 2020 Armstrong with the sub two ERAs, or the guy that when he gets out there more often gets hit around more? I, I do like Sean Armstrong. I, I think he's the guy who probably will end up getting hit around more. I do like him a lot, but I don't know if his success is sustainable just because hitters really haven't seen him that much. He's a guy who just hasn't really pitched all that much. And I, I do think that the numbers he put up are good. I just don't know if they'll stay because the stuff isn't incredible. It, it's average stuff, and he throws 
pretty averagely hard. And, and if you look at his analytical numbers, some of his peripherals, he's only in the 19th percentile of expected ERA. He's only in the uh, 34th percentile of expected batting average uh, against him. So there's the, the analytics don't really show that these numbers that he's put up over the past few years are exactly sustainable. Although I think on a rebuilding club, he's kind of a good fit. If he cost a little less, it would make a little more sense. But I do think they'll keep him around. I really do think they'll tender him a contract. Well, yeah, Nathan Ruiz seems to think of, of the three between he, um, Alberto, and Severino. He seems to think that Armstrong has the best chance to stick with this ball club. I agree with that. Through arbitration. Um, and speaking of that, we're going to talk about Pedro Severino. Um, for me, who's going to catch for this ball club if it's not Severino? He's He's okay defensively he's not great no look 15 pass balls the last two years and when you factor into the fact that one was a 60 game season that's not great um his defense has seemed to decline as he's put more emphasis on getting that bat going and that bat has gotten going uh he's developed into a a a decent all-around hitter with the orioles 18 doubles and 18 home runs in 144 games in baltimore like nathan said probably would have been the starting catcher on the al all-star squad had there been an all-star team this year but he falters down the stretch. In 2019, he hit 197 in August and 195 in September. And in 2020, he hit 159 in September, including ending the season on that 3-for-45 stretch. So this is a guy who every other month he hits really well. He hit 260 or better every month up until August of 2019. He, he was hitting 313 before he hit that skid in September. He and Hans Roberto really fell off down the stretch. Is Pedro Severino a guy that you're going to want to pay $4 million? Now, look, $4 million isn't a big number for a starting catcher who probably would have been an all-star. But for a rebuilding club who has arguably the best catcher in the game waiting in the wings in Adley Rutschman, do they want to spend that kind of money on Pedro Severino? I think I would. I don't know if the Orioles will, but I personally would. I, I still am a big fan of Pedro Severino, and I don't think his defense is good. I, as you just said, it's really not. And I think there's some effort things that goes along with there too. He just kind of jogs back to some balls, and it it's it's a little bit of a you know a bad defensive uh, profile. But the guy can still hit the ball, and I just look at it as I said before. Even if they were to sign Mike Zunino, I'm not sure how much better Mike Zunino is than Pedro Severino. He's definitely the better defender, that's for sure. But I'd take Pedro's bat any day over Zunino's personally. So I'm not really sure you're doing much for the ball club if you were to get rid of Severino and sign a guy like Zunino for you know $3 million, $3.5 million. So I would personally keep him around. I don't think he's incredible, but I just think there's not really an option there that the Orioles are going to be able to replace him with. And I'll be honest, I do not want to see Austin wins catching in 80 games this year or, no. you know, 90 games. I don't, I don't want to see that at all. I'd much rather pay Pedro Severino the $4 million. I think he's worth that, in my opinion. Well, you mentioned Mike Zanino, and Stan the fan, Charles, he mentioned Mike Zanino each of the last two weeks. Mike Zanino kind of put his name into the national headlines uh, in the World Series for how he handled yep. that pitching staff and what he did for that ball club. And he hit fairly decently uh, in the ALDS and the ALCS, kind of faltered a bit in the World Series. And my question there is, A, are you going to pony up the dough for Mike Zanino? And B, is he going to want to play here? This guy who just who, who just pitched and uh, pitched caught in the World Series. There's a number of teams out there who need, who need catchers. You're looking at the Phillies. You're looking at the Mets. Now, Look, he's not JT Realmuto or, you know, uh, Yasmani Grandal. He's he's not that guy. But he is a solid defensive backstop who's not going to crush you um, in by being in your lineup every day. 
I'm just not sure that if the Orioles had interest, that the interest is mutual. Um, now, maybe a guy like that looks at a young pitching staff that's going to feature Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken, and at some point in the next two years, um, D.L. Hall and Michael Bauman and Grayson Rodriguez, yeah, that's you're licking your chops if you're a catcher. That's a, that's a, Those are guys that you want to catch. I'm just not sure that right now is the time for Mike Zanino to sign with a team like the Baltimore Orioles when there might be more enticing options out there. And the final guy that we're going to talk about here, and I saved the best for last, is Hanser Alberto. 299 hitter in two seasons with Baltimore. He hit 398 against left-handed pitching in 2019, fell off to a measly 375 against left-handed pitching in 2020. Uh, he plays multiple positions. You can put him at second. You can put him at third. You can put him at shortstop in a pinch. But he's not a great defender. He doesn't walk enough. He doesn't have much power. And we mentioned how he slipped down the, st- down the stretch. There's an Orioles Classic game on last week, and it was Dean Kramer's first start, which came on September 6th. And Hunter Alberto was hitting, I think, 323 uh, at that point in the season, and he finished the season hitting 283. So his... his his batting average dropped almost 39 or 40 points um, from that point over the final three weeks of the season because he hit 215 in September. Uh, I think the writing's on the wall, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I like Hunter Alberto. He and Pedro Severino are really great clubhouse presences for the Orioles. It's just a matter of are you going to pay them to be fairly one-dimensional players in in, um, noon, in I'm, I'm thinking of Renato Nunez. In Pedro Severino's case, the bat outweighs the glove. And in Hanser Alberto's case, the bat outweighs the glove, but the bat only is mainly a singles bloop hitter. Yeah, as far as Hanser goes, I think you look at batting average as a stat that doesn't really tell the whole story because 283 is good. I mean, you know, if any other guy hit 283 on this team, we'd say, oh, okay, that's great. But it's the profile that he has, again, is just not really much else besides a contact hitter. That's really what he is. And he hits lefties well, but the defense isn't there. You know, he's going to get the bloop singles, but the defense isn't there and the power isn't there. You know, he's not going to hit even 20. I I doubt he'll ever hit 20 home runs in his career. I'd be very surprised. And that's just not really a profile the Orioles are looking for. They want to get better defensively. They want to have more speed. And Hanser Alberto really doesn't bring any of those things. Um, You know, so despite his batting average being great and he does some really good things with the bat once in a while as, as far as contact hitting goes, I don't think it's enough to keep him around and like you said the writing's kind of been on the wall and we saw it with Renato Nunez we talked about that for you know months now and then we're talking about Hanser Alberto it will probably happen that he'll be non-tendered in my opinion at least well and you mentioned he's never gonna hit 20 home runs now look hitting 20 home runs in a season is not a prerequisite for being an everyday major league second baseman right but if your defense is shaky at best which is what Hanser Alberto profiles as defensively you need to hit 20 home runs, like a Jonathan Scope or an Ozzy Albies. Now, Ozzy Albies and Jonathan Scope are far better defenders than uh, Hanser Alberto is. But 283, when the majority of your hits are going to be singles, uh, and I've said this before, he's a guy who, when he steps up to the plate and the Orioles need a hit, I trust him to put the bat on the ball and make something happen. But he's also a guy who, when the Orioles need a big home run in the bottom of the ninth inning, when they're down 3-2 to two or the game's tied 3-3, three, three, I don't trust him to hit that home run. I don't think it's ever going to happen. So what are you really looking for from Hanser Alberto? Is he able to give it to you? And is he able to give it to you and be worth that anywhere from $2.3 to $4.1 million? I just don't think that's the case here. And with that in mind, overall now, 
between these four players, Valleca, Armstrong, Severino, and Alberto, who remains with the ball club after Wednesday? Uh, I, I think it's got to be Sean Armstrong. Um, I just think he really uh, will be with the ball club. And I do think Valleca also will be retained. Wow. See, I think it's going to be Severino and... Um, and oh, Sean, I, and I, miss, I missed you saying Severino. I do I do think Severino as well. So you think three of the four? Yeah. You think they're gonna, I don't see Valleca. I think the Euros have too many internal options that they can put out there as a utility player um, that are much cheaper than Pat Valleca. Uh, Severino, only because of need. Only because cause I don't think they're going to be big-time players for any uh, starting caliber catcher out there. And... $4 million for a guy who probably would have been an all-star is not a lot of money, even though I'm a rebuilding ball club. I just don't think – I think it's because of lack of options that Severino ends up remaining with this ball club for the 2021 season. I think – I've said this for six, seven weeks now. I think Alberto's gone, and uh, I think that Pat, Vale- uh, Pat Valeca and Alberto are gone. Armstrong and Severino remain. You have a uh, – you want to tell us a little bit about the or- about the press box print edition while I get Ken Singleton, Orioles legend, on the line. All right. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens' Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, and Jonathan Ogden and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Malcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Remembering one tough team, Brian Billick on the cover. Go get your new edition of Press Box right now. All right, thank you for that, Zach. And now, really excited for our next guest. This is an Orioles legend, played in the World Series with them in 1979, won the World Series with them in 1983, now covers the Yankees for the Yes Network. We have Ken Singleton on the line. Ken, how are you today? Oh, good morning. How are you? Doing very, very well. Thank you uh, for asking. We are really excited to have you on the program. It's not every day that we get to talk to an Orioles legend, so thank you for joining us today. Um... First question we're going to ask you, Yankees' plans this offseason. Uh-huh. Uh, Paxton, LeMahieu, Tanaka, Hap, they're all free agents. What are they going to do uh, first and foremost about filling out that starting rotation that only has Garrett Cole and Montgomery as locks? Yeah, that's, that's going to be an issue. Um, I know they have some younger pitchers that they think uh, have some promise. David Garcia, one. Clark Schmidt, another. Michael King's another. Uh, I don't know if they would... Uh, fill their rotation with three young pitchers uh, following uh, Garrett Cole. Uh, Luis Severino should be returning uh, from Tommy John surgery sometime in uh, May or June or maybe even further along the way in, in July, but he should be back sometime during the course of the season. And, of course, we all know that uh, when he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah. But that's that's going to be a while. So I, I, I'm not sure what the Yankees are going to do. I I would think they would bring Tanaka back if he would accept less money. Uh, I think the Yankees, like most teams, are, are looking to cut costs this, this particular offseason, uh, particularly after uh, you know no fans in the stands uh, last year and a loss of revenue in that regard. So I, I, I think that if Tanaka uh, decides to, I'm, I'm sure he would like to stay with the Yankees. It's just a matter of working out a deal. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there. Um... 
Now, how about Domingo Herman? He said that after he got yeah. suspended for 81 games um, at, in the 2019 season, he came out last February and basically said that he was done playing professional baseball. He took a step back from that. He's been pitching in the Dominican Winter League, and he's been pitching well uh, in his two starts down there. Still has, I think it's three games left on that suspension. Um, mm-hmm. But the Steinbrenners are not sold on bringing him back because they need to see that he's reformed. They need to see that he is remorseful for what he's done and that it's never going to happen again. What are the chances that Domingo Herman returns to the Yankees in 2021 and that he's as impactful as he was in 2019? Well, there is that possibility. I think it all hinges on the need of the Yankees to fill out their rotation. And if Herman can convince the uh the owner, Hal Steinbrenner, and the, the Yankee organization that he's indeed, uh, as you said, remorseful for what he'd done in the uh, domestic violence situation. And uh, it, it, that might be a tough pill for the fans to swallow. I, I think that uh, uh, that's what the Yankees are going to have to weigh to see uh, maybe, you know, just see what's going on in the air, test the climate uh, with the fans for his return. Uh, if they do indeed decide to bring him back. Now, of course, like I said, a lot of it depends on the need. Uh, if they find that their rotation is wanting, uh, I, I, you know, I, I would see Herman pitching again for the Yankees. After all, here's a guy who, his ERA was kind of high, but the Yankees scored a lot of runs when he pitched, and he won 18 games. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's you know, it's a pretty good record, and you don't want to let a pitcher like that get away and, Maybe sign with one of your competitors. So I, I just, I just think that uh, uh, I, I would say the chances are sixty forty that he returns to the Yankees. Hey Ken, how you doing? It's Zach Goodman. So we know uh, Zach. We know the Yankees always spend a ton of money every offseason. They're always one of the highest payrolls in baseball. But the Mets now have a new owner in Steve Cohen. Do you think it's a possibility that soon the Mets could be spending more money on a payroll than the New York Yankees? That's that's definitely a possibility. Mr. Cohen, from what I understand, is now the richest owner in baseball, and he's been a Met fan throughout his life. So I'm sure he's going to want to improve the team, and if that means spending some money. Uh, most of the times when a new owner takes over a club, uh, no matter whether it's the Mets or any other team, they usually want to make a splash with the fans, you know, just to endear the fans to what they're trying to do, trying to get uh, – big-name free agent on their club. Uh, I can see the Mets spending money and possibility of them outspending the Yankees. Uh, the capabilities are there. The Mets are a big market team. Uh, they share the biggest market in the country with uh, you know, one of the highest-spending teams. So if they want to grab the headlines in the newspapers, uh, you might see the Mets go out and do some of those things. Uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see what the, what the Mets do. I, I'm looking forward to... Uh, uh, seeing what they do as far as uh, procurement of players, uh, signing their, re-signing their own players, and uh, not letting them go. I, I, I know that Mets fans in New York right now are very enthused uh, with the new ownership, uh, new owner and Steve Cohen. Now, with, the, with, with regards to the Yankees and spending money, mm-hmm. it, 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 people seem to think it's a foregone conclusion that D.J. LeMahieu was gone. Um, DJ LeMay, who grew up a Yankees fan, came over to them from the Rockies a few years back and has performed at an MVP level uh, ever since joining the ball club. Is there any chance that the Yankees bring him back to play second base for them in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, I think that's the number one priority is to, is to bring him back. I'm, I know the New York fans 
that's what they want, and, and why wouldn't they? I mean, he's been a great player and one of the best players in the league, uh, and, and kind of a, a throwback of, uh, because not only does he hit home runs, he just hits, uh, as opposed to you know the modern-day baseball where you get a lot of home runs, you get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I, I just think that uh, in the defensively, he's a gold-glove type player. Uh, he's proven that he's versatile. He can play first, second, and third. Uh, I think that uh, what you might see, if the Yankees go out and get another shortstop, which is a, which is a possibility, uh, they would move Glaber Torres back to second and eventually move LeMayu uh, over to uh, first base. And the possibility remains they could trade Luke Boyd, who led the major leagues in home runs, albeit in a shortened season last year. Yeah, it seems like they, they have a lot of moves that they have to make within their infield. I think LeMay, keeping LeMahieu should be a top priority for that team. That's uh-huh. a guy that, that wants to be there, and they want him to be there. You mentioned shortstop, and I'm glad that you did because they do want to get Gleyber Torres off a of shortstop and move him back to second base. Um, with that in mind, I have always thought that Andrelton, Andrelton Simmons would be a good fit for the Yankees. MLB trade rumor seems to agree with me there. Uh, but there's uh-huh. also a young player coming over from the KBO and Young Kim who is a slick-fielding, solid-hitting shortstop prospect who's just 25 years old. Are the Yankees at all interested in him, or are they more likely to go out and sign a guy like an Andrelton Simmons? Uh, well, I, I would think the Yankees, in, you know, every year they're, they're going for it. They're trying to win the World Series. So to, uh, they would more or less look for more of a veteran player. You know, the, the possibility is they might bring back D.D. Gregorius. I mean, he's a free agent. That's true. Uh, very popular with the Yankee fans. And personally, I feel the Yankee lineup is way too right-handed. They need some left-handed hitters. And, of course, Didi's a left-handed hitter, and he has some power. He's hit as many as 20 home runs as a shortstop, which which is pretty good. And he's an excellent fielder. So, I, I, to me, uh, and he was popular with his teammates, I just think that uh, that remains, if that door is open again, I'm sure the Yankees would uh, uh, go for Didi because they know what he is and know what he can do. And uh, plus, like I said, he's left-handed. Well, yeah, D.D. Gregorius profiles very well with the Yankees. I was surprised that they let him go at all. Um, but that was after a season where he came off of Tommy John surgery. And he actually he played fairly well for the Phillies in his short time there. So that could be a move that the Yankees could make this offseason. Another guy, Ken, that I want to talk about is Gary Sanchez. And he came on uh, like a firestorm when he, when he came up with the Yankees. He had 20 home runs in like 60 games as a rookie. Uh, but where does he fit into their long team plans? Because long term plans, because hitting abysmal 147 in 2020, he's hit below 200 two of the last three years, and he's batting just 200 mm-hmm. with a 296 on base percentage since 2018, and he doesn't play great defense. Where does he fit with this ball club moving forward? Yeah, that's there's the possibility there that he could be non tendered, from what I understand. I do know that he's playing winter ball and trying to improve. Uh, I don't know how he's performing down there. But you're right, he had an abysmal season. Uh, I think at one time, his first 100 at-bats, he struck out 50 times. So that, that's, that's not going to cut it. Uh, he just he's just seemed to turn into an all-or-nothing hitter. He was going for home runs every single at-bat, big swings. And, of course, uh, when you have as many pitchers in the league that throw as hard as they do now, it's not how you know big your swing is, how quick your swing is. Right. And he lost that quickness. It was just... Uh, you know, too much body in his swing, and he was just, you know, just just lost completely. And then from that point on, his defense suffered. The Yankees brought in a, a, a coach just to work with him on defense. And it, it, at first, it appeared it was working, 
But then by the end of the year uh, and into the playoffs, it certainly was not. And I think he's he's lost a lot of his uh, luster with the Yankees and their fans. Um, uh, Kylie Gashioka took over at the end and caught most of the playoff games and is excellent defensively. He has some power. Um, he hit some home runs in the playoffs. Uh, I just... I'm not saying that Higashiyoshi could be a, a number one catcher, uh, but you know Gary Sanchez uh, has has kind of lost that luster throughout the league. You're right; when he first came up, he looked like he was on a Hall of Fame uh, a path, but now it's it's just gone completely the other way. Now, if he is non-tendered, would you expect the Yankees to be in play for a guy like J.T. Real Muto? Obviously, the Yankees spend a lot of money, and they're always active in almost every big free agent discussion. So would J.T. Real Muto be a good fit for them, or do you think he'll go back to the Phillies and, and go back home? Uh, I think Real Muto would be a good fit for anybody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He's maybe the best catcher in the game. Uh, I, I don't know if the Yankees are willing to commit that type of money. Uh, because you, you say they, they do spend money. They have in the past for the right player. But they're, they're, they have been on you know, a bit of an austerity kick the last few years. They're trying to stay under the threshold, the uh, luxury tax threshold. And, and although uh, if they feel that they got a chance to win, they will go for it. And when you look throughout the division, um, you know the Red Sox seem to be down. The Orioles might be on their way up a bit, the same with the Blue Jays. And I think the Rays, you know, losing Charlie Morton, there's talk of them trading Blake Snell. Uh, I, I just don't know if the Rays can do it a couple of years in a row. I mean, a lot of things went right for them, uh, but they're always going to have a low payroll, which means they're going to have to scrape and, and reach for the they, – they have to do a good job of, uh, of uh, you know, figuring out what players can do and what players can help them at low cost. But sometimes when you go low cost all the time, that's what you get. You get what you pay for. So I, I think uh, the Yankees, uh, you know, they, they're, they're going to try every single year. I've, I've been there 25 years now, and it's been a winning record every single year. You know, they have, they've made the playoffs about 22 times, but the, the fact is they're always going to go for it. I've always said that the Yankees not so much play against everybody else. They play against their own history. When you've won 27 times, uh, won the championship 27 times, it, your fans expect you to go for it, and that, that's just what they do. Well, yeah, and then they, they go out last offseason. They signed the big-ticket free agent in Garrett Cole, and they still don't go back to the World Series. Now we're looking yeah. at 12 seasons since they, they uh, w- were even in a World Series, let alone won one. And I look yeah. at a guy like Araldis Chapman, and look, they, they traded him to the Cubs for some prospects in 2016, and he gives up that three-run homer in Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, then you move forward to 2019. He's back with the Yankees uh, for a couple seasons at that point. Gives up the walk-off home run in the ALCS to um, Jose Altuve. And then in uh-huh. 2020, he gives up the home run again. He's been on the mound for, uh, giving up game-winning home runs the last two years to end the Yankees' season. Meanwhile, yeah. you have an elite closer in Zach Britton who has outpitched Aroldis Chapman the last two years. Are they still trusting Chapman to get the job done when he's proven that he may not be able to do that consistently? Yeah, well, I would think so because for what they're paying him, that's yeah. that's his job. Uh, you're right; he's been on the mound for some uh, uh, debilitating losses. I mean, when we're in, when you're ending a season, that that's not good. Now, I did get wind the other day that that they might be thinking of making him a starting pitcher. Now, really? 
Wow. I, I, that is a real wow. I, I'm, uh, I talked to Chapman through a, through a translator, and he said that when he was with the Cincinnati Reds, that the Reds wanted him to be a starting pitcher. But it was Dusty Baker, the manager of Cincinnati at the time, who said, that, no, this guy is more valuable on just about an everyday basis where we could use him to close. And it was Dusty Baker who kept him out of the rotation. Well, uh, this might happen. Remember I mentioned the need yeah. for starting pitching. And you're right about Britain. He, he's excellent. I, I think like three out of every four balls put in play against him are hit on the ground. And uh, he strikes out his share of batters, too. So he, he's difficult. He doesn't give up many home runs. Correct. So I, I just, and when a closer gives up a home run, it can be devastating. That, that's usually a game turner because you're in there to save games. Uh, so I, had, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but it might be something to uh, keep an eye on if the Yankees decide that, uh, you know, maybe we'll use this guy once every fifth day and let him start. You know, maybe break him in easy, turn him into a five-inning starter, six innings at the most if he can do it, and then go to their bullpen, which is pretty darn good, and then close it out with Zach Britton, if that be the case. But uh, this this is going to be an interesting offseason, not only for the Yankees, but for, for a lot of teams. Uh, it is a hard year to evaluate players because the season was so short. Uh, a hard year to evaluate players because of how they had to perform this year under difficult situations. And uh, I, I, I really think that the best team won in the Dodgers, uh, and they really earned it. If you could get through this particular season in the middle of a pandemic and, and get it done, uh, I, I just thought uh, it was testament to uh, their fortitude as a team and just about every team that didn't really have any problems with COVID-19. It's it's a crazy prospect to me to think that Aroldis Chapman could be a starting pitcher. Uh, Twelve <laughs> coming into his tw- going into his twelfth year in the league as primarily a reliever and a guy who gears up and ramps up and just throws it as hard as he can every time he's out there. To see him go from a one inning all or nothing type of pitcher to having to have pinpoint control and kind of slow down his arm velocity to keep himself fresh for the for for multiple innings. I, yeah. that, that that prospect, and I'm an Orioles fan, that prospect scares me for his long-term health. Yeah, you know, starting pitchers, you're right, have to pace themselves a little bit more. Uh, they have to crank it up when they get in trouble, and he certainly has the capability of doing that. But I, I wouldn't expect him to be throwing 100 miles an hour every single pitch. I mean, that's, that's basically closer stuff. Right. Uh, there's not many starting pitchers who can do that. So I, I just think that... Uh, it will be interesting. Like I said, it's something to keep an eye on. I, I'm not sure it's going to happen, and it, it probably won't, uh, particularly if the Yankees decide to go with some of their younger, younger uh, pitchers and fill out the rotation that way. But uh, we'll see. I mean, this, this is going to be interesting. Like I said, the Yankees are going to try. There's no doubt about it in my mind because that's the way it is in, in the Bronx. They go for it. And if they're, uh, they're that type of organization then they do have a high payroll. There's no doubt about it. And they're going to keep it up there. They're going to try and get under luxury tax if they can. And the way they do it maybe is by breaking in some of these younger pitchers. Uh, they do have some bills coming. I mean, Aaron Judge is going to be arbitration eligible. So will Sanchez. So will some of the other younger players. So uh, the payroll is going to go up that way. But uh, they, they try and break in young players who are making not much more than the minimum. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see 
with the Yankees because, like you said, Judge is going to be coming up. They're already paying Garrett Cole a ton of money. They're already paying Giancarlo Stanton a ton of money, and they're going to have to add players. You're going to have to pay some of their other guys. So that's going to be a roster crunch for them coming up in the next couple of years. And now I look at this team, and they're World Series favorites in the American League seemingly every year, and yet they have all these question marks in the starting rotation, yet they always seem to find young pitchers who step up. And this goes back to Michael Pineda, and then Luis Severino, Domingo Herman, Davey Garcia is the next guy in line. But it does seem like they're going to have to go out and sign some free agent pitchers because the starting rotation can't be what holds this team back. No, especially if you're trying to go all the way. It's hard to rely on you know, two or three uh, rookies in your rotation. I, I, I can see one, uh, but not two or three. Uh, uh, one name you should keep an eye on is Clark Schmidt. Okay. Um, he's a right-hander, throws pretty hard, excellent breaking ball. Yankees are very high on him. Uh, he could uh, he could be in a rotation, and they move Garcia into the bullpen. There was talk of that, too. So I think a lot of these young pitchers, they're still trying to find how they fit onto, into the, uh, the Yankee pitching staff whether it be in the rotation or in the bullpen. So I, I, it, it, that, that's probably for spring training to figure all this out. But uh, it, it's going to be an interesting winter just to see where everybody's going. I, I don't think uh, we have a true barometer on how the offseason is going at this point. I, I do feel that some of the older players, the older free agents in their 30s, they're, they're not going to get the deals that they, they might expect. Because the um, you know teams all lost money last year with the absence of fans, and some guys are going to have to uh, you know come to spring training on invites, you know if they make the team that sort of thing, and uh, that's something that uh, a lot of them might not be expecting. Yeah, and the, the Orioles, for example, have been rumored to be interested in Yasiel Puig, and this is a guy who profiles right now as a three, maybe four million dollar player. Where under normal circumstances, that's a guy who gets ten to twelve million dollars on the free agent market. But we certainly yeah. aren't playing under normal circumstances, so it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this offseason plays out, not just for the Yankees, but for every team in Major League Baseball after that massive loss of revenue in 2020. Now, can we are a Baltimore-based show and you are an mm-hmm. Orioles legend uh, so I want to ask you what is the perception of the Baltimore Orioles in that Yankees organization now the Yankees won 19 straight against the Orioles before coming to Baltimore and losing three of four in September mm-hmm. how are the Orioles viewed in the Yankees organization and across baseball as they start to improve and start to see the fruits of their uh, rebuilding efforts yeah I think uh this past season, they made strides. They were much better than they were the year before. The pitching was better. The bullpen was better. Uh, some of the starters were better. And they hit better. Uh, I, I just, uh, they weren't as easy a go as they had been the previous year for the Yankees uh, when they were winning all those games in a row. I, I, I One thing that I've learned about the Yankees over the years uh, is that they don't really worry about other teams until they play them. So they, they don't really, if they're playing the Red Sox, you're not going to hear them talking about the Orioles or the White Sox or, or anybody else. Right. Their concentration is on the Red Sox that particular day. Now, when they come to Baltimore, uh, they're, they're, first of all, they like coming to Camden Yards because it's such a good hitting park. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees, as you know, are a home-run hitting team. Um, basically, that's how they score a majority of their runs. And Camden Yards is very hitter-friendly. 
I wish I had played at Camden Yards. I'm sure. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it's, <laughs> when it's 364 in a gap in left center field, I have a feeling I could have done a lot of damage uh, from either side of the plate. So I, and it's not too far to right field either. So I, I just think it's a very good hitting park. And the, I, I, it's not so much the, the Orioles themselves and the team. When the Yankees come here, they expect to hit and they expect to score. And it doesn't matter who the Orioles put out there. They expect to get it done. One of the, They feel like one of these guys or a couple of them during the course of the game and who's going to get a hold of one and that they don't have to hit it all that well to get it out. I, I just, uh, what, they set a record, what, in 2019, or was it, uh, for home runs in a visiting ballpark? I mean, they, they, they just came here and slammed them. And I, I just, uh, I just think that, uh, they, they're confident when they come here. It's, it's not so much who the Orioles put on the field, the players. The Yankees are just confident when they come here. Now, you know, that wasn't, you talked about legendary days and things like that. wasn't the case back in the day of Memorial Stadium. I mean, you know, we, Yankees might have had a higher payroll then, but we had some very good players, and they, they knew they were in for it back in the day. Well, I'll tell you, man, you were already a high-caliber player in your playing days. The top three in MVP in 1977 and 1979, I have no doubts that you probably would have won the MVP in those two years had the Orioles played at Camden Yards with those short gaps and short uh, distances <laughs> down the line. So uh, it's a shame Camden Yards wasn't built 15 years earlier because you could have had some hardware uh, up on your mantle next to the uh, ones that, that you already got. You know what? I can't complain. Uh, you get the two World Series, uh, like you said, finishing top three. Uh, I, I felt maybe I should have won in 79. If you go by the modern metrics and Sabre metrics and you look at the numbers, I, I think I would have won. But uh, I, And we had the best team. So I, I just felt, uh, you know, maybe that's the year I should have won. When I finished third, you know, Rod Carew was so much better than everybody else that year that he certainly deserved it. But I, I felt in 79 that uh, um, when I finished second that uh, if, if you look at it, if you, if you, uh, you know, you uh, categorize the players the way they do now, I would have had a better chance of winning. Well, absolutely. You know, 295 average with 35 homers and 111 RBIs, that's certainly MVP worthy in my opinion. That's somebody who in the middle of the Orioles lineup right now would be an all-star and the team MVP from that perspective. So maybe you yeah, were those robbed are good, a little those bit. Those are good numbers, but if they break down players even more now with, the, you know, OPS and on-base percentage and OPS plus. And that's and those sort of numbers that they really didn't care about all that much in those days. Yeah, abso- that, those, absolutely. Those are the numbers I'm pointing to. Well, even your WAR was 5.7 offensively, so that's that's a hell of a year from Ken Singleton right there. So now, yeah. Ken, before we let you go, uh, one last mm-hmm. Orioles question: What are you expecting from the Orioles in 2021, and how far from contention do you think this ball club truly is? I, I would expect some of the younger players to develop even more. I, I thought before he was injured, Anthony Santander was on his way to becoming a, uh, you know, maybe close to an all-star type player. Uh, maybe he will be this this upcoming season. Um, I, I just think that uh, some of the younger pitchers, uh, some of their bullpen pitchers like Paul Frank had started to pitch a little bit better. Uh, John Means in the rotation looked like uh, he was going to be one of the better left-handers in the league. Uh, Alex Cobb, who's a veteran, you know, maybe he can stay away from injuries. He could help the Orioles a little bit more. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Adley Rushman, uh, their young catcher. Uh, he might not make the team in spring training, but he'll definitely be there. 
So I, I just want to see what he looks like and see what he can do. I mean, anytime you have a switch hitting catcher who has some power and uh, defensive ability, you know, he could be an all-star type player for years to come. These, these are the, these are the things the Orioles are going to have to do. They're going to have to make some moves uh, when they claim players off waivers to help the team. That's, that's one thing. But one of the things that you um, have to do is develop your own. And they can't miss on their draft picks. Uh, I did mention uh, when you claim players out of other, or other organizations, uh, you not only have to know your own organization, you have to know everybody else's. So I, I think that uh, uh, you, when they make a claim, it's got to be somebody who can help them on the 25-man roster almost right away. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it really speaks to this rebuild that prior to 2019 they were they were in the bottom the bottom three or four teams in farm system rankings, and now they're all the way up to eighth in a lot of publications. So it really speaks to the job that Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde are doing with this ball club, and hopefully yeah. here in Baltimore we have brighter days coming in the not too distant future. Ken, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining the program. Well, uh, spring training will be here before you know it, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, we get closer to back to normal where we can actually have fans at the ballparks. Maybe not uh, full capacity right away, but uh, eventually get there so everybody can enjoy baseball firsthand, not only on radio and TV. Well, absolutely, and I think we're all certainly looking forward to that. Ken, we hope to talk to you again soon. You have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Bye bye. What an honor, what a thrill, and what a privilege to get to talk to a guy like Ken Singleton. Not just an Orioles legend, but just a stand-up guy. I didn't mention it to him, but he did come into my restaurant last year. I was supposed to wait on his table at one of the tables in the bar. He was with another couple, and right as he got there, the couple said they wanted to go sit in the dining room. So I didn't even get to greet them and say hello to Ken before he walked right on out of my life. So, um, very cool. He, he's huge. He's he's like six four. He's he's a he's a big guy. So uh, Ken Singleton, really great to have him on the program. Uh, we do have to get another break, um, but before that, I just want you to know that if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with Press Boxes Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post game by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chicks of Rita Hubbard. Find all, sh- uh, all shows at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and post game at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, think, sing the praises of of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the ref's fault all season long. As long as the game happens, Glenn and Rita will be with you for Tuesday night's Baltimore-Pittsburgh showdown. That's Press Box's Project Game Day, every game day of the season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. Do you need your fantasy fulfilled, or you do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Pressbox's own Ken Zalis is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at pressboxonline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. That's the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill and the U.S. Army. 
since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Need your fantasies fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? I'm Ken Zales, and if you missed it, I was Fantasy Pro's number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country last year. And I'm with you every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or watch the show and get your fantasy questions in at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. That's the PressBox Fantasy Football Show with me, Ken Zales, every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by C. CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Ravens' Super Bowl 35 championship run with Ray Lewis, Brian Billick, Trent Dilfer, Jonathan Ogden, and more helping to explain how the magical season happened. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Ryan Mountcastle and the role he can play as a cornerstone for the Orioles' rebuild. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. Also, you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
We are back with the bat around here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm Paul Valley. This is Zach Goodman. We're about to close things out here. Running a little long today like we do every week. So we're going to try and keep the Ravens talk here to a little bit of a, of a minimum. Uh, Ravens were supposed to play on Thursday, but as the world knows, they had like 12 guys in their organization test positive for COVID, including nine players. Um... So they did not play on Thursday. The game originally got moved back to 115 on Sunday. Now it's been pushed back to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, assuming that's get, that gets played. Um, that game against the Cowboys, I believe, is supposed to go off at 5 o'clock on Monday night now as the first game of a doubleheader on Monday night football. Uh, not a lot to talk about the Ravens because they lost to the Titans in a game they should have won. Up by 11 in the third quarter. You should not lose that football game. They don't lose many of those games in the John Harbaugh era. Um, they took their foot off the gas, Zach. They, they, they were doing whatever they wanted, and then they just stopped. They just stopped. And, you know, the A.J. Brown touchdown where he should have been stopped for no gain or even a loss, he ends up scoring an 11-yard touchdown. You look at Derrick Henry had 44 yards rushing through the third quarter, and then he goes off for 89 yards in the fourth quarter in overtime. It should have never come to overtime. The Ravens had three possessions inside the 10-yard line in which they didn't score touchdowns. You score a touchdown on even one of those possessions, you win the football game. I'm screaming at my TV for the second game in a row that Justice Hill is in there in goal-to-go situations while J.K. Dobbins, who is 100% the best running back on the roster, is standing on the sidelines. It was even more maddening on Sunday because he just had two big carries to get them down into that red zone possession, and then he's standing on the sidelines while Justice Hill, who has done nothing, he's done as much as you and I have for the Ravens this year. Um, He's on the the field and goal-to-go situations. The Ravens, that was a turning point uh, for the Ravens this year with their running game. I think J.K. Dobbins is a bell cow from here on out. I think the Ravens finally realized in that game, Dobbins is our best runner, and we are not using him. Because he got a ton of touches after that red zone possession that, that stalled out. What are you seeing from this team I don't think they have a, sh- a snowball's chance in hell against the Steelers, but I'm happy that the game against the Cowboys got moved back to Monday because they have a chance to get everybody back healthy by then. Yeah, the Steelers game probably won't be too much fun for Ravens fans. I mean, it's not. They lost the first time in a close game. and you know, So they would have had a chance with Lamar Jackson. I don't think they would have won if they had you know all of their starters there in the first place. But without Lamar, without an entire O-line that, that's basically – all of the starters have COVID. You know, you don't have a couple of the linebackers. Defensive line all has COVID. It's just kind of rough. And, and when RG3 is captaining your football team, instead of the reigning MVP, it's always going to be a little bit worse. So, you know, RG3 has just got to do his job. He's got to throw short passes, some quick ins, some quick outs, um, slant routes, dig routes, things that, you know, they can just get the ball out of his hand quickly because the Steelers' pass rush, pass rush is very good. So, you know, if, if he follows that blueprint, maybe they have a chance. But, you know, I... I don't really see the Ravens winning at all. Well, the defense is fully healthy. Um, as fo- well, except for except for Brandon Williams and Clayus Campbell, probably isn't going to be there uh, because of the calf. I still think he's a couple weeks away. And then but, Ward and McPhee as well. Ward and McPhee, but they were they're kind of more role players. And yeah. McPhee has been on the field a little bit less since they got Yannick Ngakwe. Um, but the secondary is still there. Patrick Queen is still there. L.J. Fort, Malik Harrison. Um, so. And Jimmy Smith is back healthy now. So I do think the game will will be close. 
because they still have a, a pretty solid defense intact. Uh, Gus Edwards has had success running against the Steelers. He ran for over 100 yards with RG3 at the helm um, in the final game of 2019 when the, when the Steelers needed a win to make the playoffs and the Ravens just bludgeoned them. The Ravens did gash him for 265 rushing yards a few weeks back. So I expect them to, even with a makeshift offensive line, I expect them to find some a, a few running lanes. But my prediction for this game is going to be 23-16 to 16 Steelers. Yeah, I think it will actually be a greater margin than that. I'm going to go with 27-14 to 14 Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, well, you heard it here. I have 23-16 Steelers. Zach has uh, 27-14. After not picking the Ravens to lose a single game in the first, what, 11 weeks of the season? No, I'm sorry, the first nine weeks of the season, I've now picked them to lose in back-to-back games. Last week, I picked them to lose 27-24. They lost 30-24. to I believe you had them losing 20, what was it, 27 to... I think it was 27-17. Yeah. Could be wrong on that, though. Yeah, so um, it's going to be a tough game uh, for the Ravens, despite... even Before the injuries and the COVID outbreak, it was going to be a tough game. Now it seems like it's almost impossible, but again... That's why they play the games. The, excuse me, the games. That's why they play the games. Uh, you saw in 2015, Ryan Mallett uh, led the, the Ravens to a win over the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger. In 2007, Troy Smith, uh, that debacle this season where they won five games and they lost to the previously winless uh, Miami Dolphins, who went 1 in 15 that year. The last game of the season against the Steelers, they managed to pull out a win with Troy Smith. So uh, it could be. A, a, a miracle game, but it's looking like the the Ravens are probably going to lose this game. That's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Thank you for tuning in. Still haven't found the proper uh, closeout to this show, so I'm just going to say thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you all next week.